Well, I want to thank you uh, for your kind uh, concerns for me and uh, my uh, recent uh, health bout, all the cards and the letters, um, both of them. Um, <laughs> but, um, but I am, um, I am better, and um, uh, so uh, uh, hopefully it'll be gone. My, my, my biggest fear was that if I, if I continued that I would... I was going to end up in the hospital, and I, I, uh, uh, I don't like hospitals, and, and uh, I'm trying to stay out of one. So, but my wife is down. My wife, um, I don't know what she's got, but uh, uh, she went to the doctor yesterday, and she doesn't have the flu, and she doesn't have pneumonia, so she just, she's in the bed. Um, but I am back to let you know I can really shake them down. <clears throat> Now, that said, um, some of you have wondered about Gigi this weekend. Um, there, there are reasons to cancel, guys. There's a, you know, there's a women's retreat this weekend. There's a high school retreat this weekend. There's a junior high retreat this weekend. Um, there, there's going to be a lot of people gone. It'll be a ghost town on Sunday morning. But um, to move it back another week is just, it's just problematic. So um, we would, the show will go on. Uh, with whomever is in town, um, if you, it is the, the second half of covenant theology. If you're interested and can make it, um, I, I hope that um, to see you there. We start at ten, and uh, you don't have to notify us. Just jump in and 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 um, see if you can. If you didn't come the first one, you're you're disadvantaged, but you're not disallowed. You're welcome to come, but you might find um, that you're uh, a little lost, at least in the first few minutes. Now, I think that covers everything in terms of announcements. Um, you know, guys, um, I, I know that y'all talk bad about me and say, when is he ever going to stop all this? Um, about basically Galatians uh, 5.1, which says, for freedom Christ has set us free. Um, it is one of my favorite themes, and I think you know that, um, but the text to me is, um, is utterly profound, and, and we're going to, Lord willing, we'll, we'll uh, do tonight, and maybe one more, maybe two more, and then we will just race through the text of the rest of uh, Galatians 5. But there's some things that I want to say, um, because, gang, here, here's, here's what I think, and, and I'm not I'm not sure this is descriptive of you, um, but I, I think in, in some cases it is descriptive of you. It's, <clears throat> pardon me, living the Christian life is like somebody has come and, and dumped a thousand-piece jigsaw puzzle in front of you, and, and you've been spending years and months trying to, to get the pieces in the right place. Um, and some of you have more of the pieces in place than others, I have more probably because I get to work on the jigsaw puzzle with all of my life, you know, all day long while you're, you know, selling your wares and, and teaching your schools. And, but I get to try and figure out where the pieces go. And so hopefully I've got some more of the pieces. But um, it's, 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 it's hard to, to get the big picture. And, and guys, in my mind, um, this whole thing of grace and law, it's really um, big in the big picture. I mean, if the, if the jigsaw puzzle is this, then it's, it's uh, pretty much a big piece of it. 
There's other pieces. Lots of other pieces up here. <coughs> but this one you really need to get in there. You need to get that settled about the role of law and grace and yada, yada, yada. And it just continues to, to confuse people, I think. So I'm going to take one last stab. Um, well, not one last, but I'm going to take a, I'm, I'm going to start where I was last week. I want to, I want to review it and I'm going to make one last stab at, at simplicity. Okay. Uh, to make this as clear as I know how, um, but maybe others more skilled could do better. I drew for you a, a, um, um, well, that wasn't good. Um, that little that little dip was not good. Anyway, um, I drew for this, this straight line. It's a straight line. And, and I talked about justification down here. Now, guys, as for me, um, uh, I became a Christian in September of 1970. It was the day that I was justified. I heard the gospel. I embraced the Savior. And um, you know that justification is by faith. Uh, faith having been exercised, having been granted by, by way of gift, Having them in exercise, I was justified. Now, um, we're all the way up here. Uh, this is um, <coughs> 2017 <clears throat> up here. Um, and, and I've made some progress. Um, and, and, and that progress is, falls under the rubric uh, of what's called sanctification. I, I, I hope you know all that by now, and I'm trying not to insult you. And then, of course... When, when I go to heaven, that's when, uh, you know, I'll be glorified. I drew this up here last week. Now, the, the, the problem is, um, I, I pose this question, uh, um, is the law still binding? Is the moral law still binding as a guide for obedience? And there is this, as I mentioned last week, this hyper-grace um, which really denies any role that law would play. Now, let, let me do this somewhat rapidly. But um, so when we're um, um, when we're talking about sanctification and the role of law up here in sanctification or down here in justification and the role of law, um, uh, so when when it comes to um, sanctification. Uh, does the law have a role? Yes. But down here, in justification, does the law have a role? No. Simple, huh? Up here, in sanctification, the law is good. But down here... At justification, the law is bad. Okay? Um, over here, when it comes to this Christian life and living and sanctification, the law is okay. But down here, when it comes to justification, it is not okay. Now, here's my final stroke. And, and if this is not clear enough, then... Then, then something needs to change drastically. When it comes to sanctification, the law <laughs> but when it comes to justification, the law is 
Now, does that, does that clarify it? <laughs> Guys, <clears throat> the law plays a wonderful role as a guide to obedience for the man who has already exercised faith and entered the household of faith. We've come to Christ. Um, by God's kindness, he has drawn us to himself. And he did not do that on the basis of law. But when it comes to living out, trying to, trying to put some of these pieces together, the law has a, has a role to play. The law is in no way um, antithetical or um, um, damaging to um, grace. The, the um, law and gospel are not incompatible. And, and guys, in, do you get that? Because that's a big piece of the jigsaw puzzle. Now, um, there's my assertion, and let me defend it, and, and that's what we'll do tonight that the law and gospel are not incompatible. And I want to give you seven reason, or not seven, several reasons why I say that. That the law, I mean, gang, living under the gospel does not mean you can then discard law. No, no, no. See that? It's just, you don't want to bring law into this discussion. But you want to understand its role in this discussion. <clears throat> so I'm saying that law is in no way incompatible with grace or the gospel. And to put them at odds against each other is to, is to inject real confusion in the lives of God's people, I think. Um, so, let me, let me give you three or four reasons why I'm suggesting to you that um, law is not incompatible with grace. Okay? All right, first of all, let me just do this real quickly. Restraining evil. Restraining wickedness. Um, restraining wicked men is always needed. So law can play a role in that. Um, law can give some kind of idea as to what is um, a societal moral norm. Okay, but that's one of the reasons. But the others are, are more important. The one that Paul uses so, um, so poignantly is that the law serves in the role of tutor. That's the language that he uses in the book of Galatians, guys. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to illustrate that, what, I mean, what he means by tutor. <clears throat> but the law, when you think of a tutor, we think of somebody that's going to help us in an um, academic subject. That's not, what Paul was, that's not the way that Paul was using the word tutor. 
Um, but let me show you how he was using this word, tutor. I want you to go to Exodus 20 with me. And all I'm going to do here in Exodus 20 is illustrate how that word is to be understood. Okay? Um, Exodus 20. All right. Uh, before we jump... Um, uh, hold on. Um, yes. Okay. All right, guys. Uh, there's two things that I want you to see concerning uh, the message of Exodus 20. Now, everybody knows that Exodus 20 contains the law. But guys, there's some other things in there that are very important. Now, um, Moses bring or God speaks the law to Moses, you know, and there they are, you know, listed for you right here in Exodus 20. They're also found in Deuteronomy 6. Um, but there they are, the dreaded Ten Commandments, which are not suggestions. They're commandments. Now, um, the last one, of course, has to do with coveting, um, which is a very important one. It's found in, verses, um, in verse 17. Now, you got that? There they are, the Ten Commandments. Now watch this, guys. Um, verse 18. Now, when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled and they stood far off. That kind of makes sense, doesn't it? You're watching a mountain smoke and tremble, people are afraid. Now, I want you to notice what they do. And they said to Moses, this is verse 19, you speak to us and we will listen. But do not let God speak to us or we die. Um, gang, do you, do you see what happened <clears throat> once these people understood the law, Ten Commandments, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, and here's their reaction. Oh, Moses, um, we don't want to go before God by ourselves. You do it. You go listen to God and let him speak to you. And then you come to us and tell, him what he said, tell us what he said. You see, Moses, after we heard those Ten Commandment things, my goodness, they're huge. I mean, they're so big, I don't know that anybody can never... And, and, and they just, they, they're terrifying. And so, Moses, what we're really looking for, what we really need, we really need somebody to mediate for us. Moses, having heard the law, we need a mediator. And that, ladies and gentlemen, 
is the law functioning as a tutor. Once you understand what the law has said, then your immediate concern is, I can't go before God then. There's got to be somebody standing between me and him. I can't do this, having read that thing. No, sir, Bobby. I mean, I hear what it says. And, and, and immediately I see my need. I need a mediator. And how did they learn that? They learned that because the law functioned as a tutor. If the law is ever rightly understood, ladies and gentlemen, you will immediately conclude, I need a Savior. Because I didn't do that law. And I'll never be able to do that law thing. So somebody has got to stand between me and God. For the moment, it was Moses. But for long term, Moses was just playing, he was just uh, warming up the engine for the real mediator to come, who is Christ Jesus. Gang, what the law is supposed to do, I, I, I'm saying, my assertion is that the, that, the, that the law and the gospel are in no way incompatible. Very honestly, guys, the law is what made you realize, I sure hope there's a mediator. Because if there's not a mediator, I'm sunk. I need somebody to stand between me and God. And what is it that gave you that conviction, ladies and gentlemen? It was the law. And for dispensationalism to undermine and devalue the law because it's found in a different dispensation is to blunt the message of the gospel. Because Paul says, that thing, that's what that does for you. Uh, how about that? Mm. It's not incompatible with grace. It's not incompatible with the gospel. Heaven forbid, no. This is the thing that made the gospel become beautiful to me. Because it told me that there was a mediator that was provided for somebody who had failed so miserably as I had. So to say the two are never the twain should meet, that is the law. That is to undercut our whole evangelistic message, ladies and gentlemen. Why do men need a Savior? Because the law condemns us. 
Remember the rich young ruler that came to Jesus? He says to Jesus, uh, you know, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And he says, well, you know, uh, uh, don't murder, don't steal, and uh, don't uh, commit adultery. And the rich young ruler says, oh, well, I've, I've done all that since, uh, since my youth. Ladies and gentlemen, the only man that can say something like that is somebody who doesn't understand the law. And that's in, that's in essence what Jesus said. He says, oh, well, you got... <laughs> I'll tell you what then, how about this? Why don't you just go sell everything you've got and come and follow me? And then he realized, oops, the demands are too high. But very frankly, ladies and gentlemen, the demands of the law are way beyond any of our performances. And you know what we need? Hey, Moses, would you stand between God and, and me for us, for me? Because <laughs> I don't, I don't want to go into his presence without you. <laughs> I mean, could you go with me? That's what the law does. That's what it means when it says it's a duty. This is not some kind of help in an academic subject. It's to convince you that more than anything else, what you need is a savior. Now, there's one other thing um, in terms of, I'm just trying to establish my assertion. And my assertion is that the gospel and the law is in no way incompatible. I said, number one, wicked men always need to be exposed. The law really functions like that. But it's also functioning. It has a very evangelistic function when it plays this role of tutor. But then, guys, there's, um, there's one other thing. And um, I always love to show you this, but I think I've showed it to you a dozen times before. Um, gang, it is grace that makes us willing and able to obey. Got that? That's a, that's a, that's a piece in the puzzle that you need to get right in there, you know? Um, obedience is required, and it is grace that has made me want to obey and gives me the power to do it. Get that piece stuck in there real firmly. Um, grace is the thing that makes me want to obey and gives me the ability to obey. And it is then the law that directs my obedience. God exchanges my heart of stone and replaces it with the heart of flesh. He has granted me the gift of faith and by sovereign grace, and that, that gives me a new interest in obedience and a new resident Holy Spirit now is giving me um, the power to obey, the ability to obey. And now it is the law that directs for me and defines what obedience looks like. You remove the law and say that it's incompatible, then who is going to tell you what obedience looks like? Now, let me show you that illustrated in this same chapter where you are in Exodus 20. And then we'll be done. But the point is, guys, grace gives me the, the interest and the ability to obey. It is the law that directs my obedience. 
You want to know when obedience is taking place? Just match your behavior against the law. Okay? But this is the thing that... It's a big piece of the puzzle. And, and guys, um, Judaism still hasn't gotten it. Judaism is under the impression that the Ten Commandments were given to them to save them. That if I do the Ten Commandments, then when I die, God's going to accept me because I did the Ten Commandments. They were never given for that reason. Not to Israel, not to Judaism, not to Moses, not to Joshua, not to Isaiah, not to David, not to anybody. They were never given. Never. Remember, remember down here, down here, mm, the law was never given to do that. Never. Not in any dispensation, ladies and gentlemen. Not in any age for any people of any kind at any time was the law ever given to save anyone. And let me show you that. <clears throat> Before you go racing to the first commandment, which is, oh my gosh, I mean, forget the other nine. Commandment number one is just, Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Oh my gosh. We don't do very good with that one. I mean, um, I've been faithful to my wife for 46 years. How about that? That seventh commandment? But this first one? I don't know whether I've obeyed that one for 30 seconds in my entire life. No other gods before me. And folks, this is kind of an aside. If you will study the book of Isaiah and Jeremiah, those major prophets, when God expresses what he's angry about, he's angry that people have disobeyed the first commandment. You rejected me and you put another God in my place. He says it, he must say it a hundred times in those two books. Now, but um, that commandment, first commandment, that comes in verse 3. And oh, my dear brother and sister in Christ, you must not read too fast over verses 1 and 2. They're called the preamble. They're called the preface to the law. And God spoke all these words saying, okay, you can read that one pretty fast. But don't read over verse 2. He says, I am the Lord your God. Before he ever gives us a piece of instruction, before he ever says anything about adultery or stealing or lying or Sabbath observance or raising kids or idolatry, before he ever says anything about any of that, he says this, I am the Lord thy God. 
I brought you out of Egypt. In fact, over in chapter 19, verse 4, he says, I bore you out of there on an eagle's wings. I came down to Egypt in the midst of your slavery and those people treating you so badly and I did a number on, on, on uh, Pharaoh and I bore you out of there on eagle's wings and we got to the Red Sea and that thing parted and you went across and they got drowned. I took you out of Egypt and brought you to myself. I am the Lord thy God. And if you skip over that, you might as well be a Jew. Because, ladies and gentlemen, never was this ever given to anybody, not Israel, not Judaism, not anybody, to say, um, now that you're out of Egypt, I want you to do this so that you can be saved. He's saying, now that I got you out of slavery, and I bore you out on eagle's wings, and I brought you to myself, I am the Lord thy God, and because I am, this is how I want you to live. (laughs) I I want to instruct you as to how to live. But it's not because my relationship with you hangs in the balance. No, I'm the Lord your God. And as such, this is how I expect you to live. But you must never reverse that order. You must never put the Ten Commandments on top of verse 2. You've always got to pass by verse 2, which says, because we're in a relationship with one another, God and you, that being settled, I want you to live away a certain way. Now, my point was this. They are not incompatible. It is grace that gives you the desire and the ability to obey. And it is the law that defines what that obedience looks like. And there it is. I brought you to myself. You're my people. Now as such, live like this. The law is not incompatible with the gospel, ladies and gentlemen. It is simply instruction to those people who have embraced that gospel as to how those people who have embraced that gospel are to live in a manner that brings glory to God, to rightly represent him as his people. I live like this. So when it comes to this, the law, I hope that piece can get fit in here real firmly. <laughs> it's a big piece. Let's quit. Our Father, um, I thank you for your word. It is a joy to, to try and teach it. But Lord, uh, there are far better teachers of it than I. And if I have confused your people in any way, I pray that you will uh, help them um, sort out the error that I have spoken and come to a knowledge of the truth. But Father, if I have handled your word correctly, 
would you make it so understandable for your people, so clear for them, that they will never again taste this confusion over the law is incompatible with the gospel. Oh God, that is to not only confuse them, but it is to drain them from any moral imperatives. And we live like like people who have no moral imperatives. Oh God, um, we love you. We're sorry we love you so little, but we want to represent you better. We want our lives to reflect that indeed there was a point in our lives where you became the Lord our God. Now, show us how to live for you in a way that properly states that we belong to you. We pray it, of course, in Jesus' name. Thank you.